going to read from uh, Luke's Gospel. It's from Luke chapter 9, and I'm going to start at verse 23. Excuse me. Luke 9, uh, beginning at verse 23. Jesus said to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. About eight days after this, Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Father, we just read your word together. and We pray that you now speak to us through your spirit to the glory of Jesus and the glory of your name. Amen. This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. This point in Jesus' life is commonly called the transfiguration. Uh, Transfiguration meaning change in appearance. We're told that Jesus' clothes became as bright as lightning and his face was changed, uh, but he himself was not changed. It's the same Jesus who walks down the mountain as who walked up the mountain. What we have here is an unveiling or a revealing of Jesus' true nature. Limited at this time uh, to his three closest disciples. Hollywood loves stories of ordinary people turning into superheroes. Tony Stark puts on his suit and he becomes Iron Man. Clark Kent removes his glasses and becomes Superman. Bruce Wayne dons a black cape and becomes Batman. These are fictional stories of ordinary people who turn into extraordinary heroes. They have an alter ego, and in a moment of crisis, that alter ego uh, saves the day. 
That's not what's happening here. Something quite different is happening with Jesus. What's happening is not that an ordinary man is being turned into an extraordinary hero, but rather that a veil is being pulled aside and the true nature of Jesus is being revealed. First to Peter, James and John, and then to the, later to the other disciples, and then through their written accounts to us too. Jesus is extraordinary, of course, but not because he has an alter ego or some superpowers, not because he has a secret mission, but because of who he is the incarnate Son of God, God in human flesh. He's extraordinary because he is prepared to walk a path of perfect obedience to his heavenly Father, a path that leads through death and into resurrection. At this point in the gospel story, the disciples are starting to understand who Jesus is, that he's the Christ, the chosen one but they still haven't grasped the enormity of everything that that means. Jesus has been preaching for some time. He's been healing. He's been casting out spirits. He's been enjoying a rising popularity in some quarters and a growing hostility in others. For some, Jesus matches up to everything that they've been hoping for. He's a man of morals and convictions. He speaks with authority and power. He's not afraid to challenge the status quo or the vested interests. God is obviously with him. For some, Jesus is the one who will bring freedom to the children of God. For others, Jesus is everything that they fear. He's a man who's convinced that he alone knows God's truth. He brings a radical new message and is gaining a following. He's a man whose popularity could soon get out of control and upturn the established order. Some say that God is with him, others that he does miracles by the hand of the evil one. For some, Jesus is the one who could destroy the children of God. And so things are coming to a head, people are taking sides, they're forming opinions, they're hardening in their convictions. Are you for him or against him? Is he from God or is he from the evil one? Who is this man and what has he come to do? When Jesus walked the streets of Israel, it was in the words of one of our choruses, with his glory veiled. The prophet Isaiah tells us that the Messiah had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. There was nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He looked ordinary. His close relative John the Baptist didn't recognize him as the Messiah until he too heard a voice from heaven at Jesus' baptism. Jesus' childhood friends from Nazareth assumed that he was nothing more than a clever carpenter. In fact, Jesus, the Son of God, the image of the invisible God, became so completely human that people argued with him, ignored him, mocked him, even tortured and killed him. 
not realizing that he was the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, that the Lord of heaven and earth was walking in their midst. But he was walking with his glory hidden. In this moment of transfiguration, Peter, James and John get a fuller vision of who Jesus is. They catch sight of Jesus with his glory unveiled. How he will look when he's risen, when he ascends, and his glory is fully revealed. Two men, Elijah and Moses, come and talk with Jesus. In Elijah, we have the representative of the prophets, those who went before Christ, speaking of God's kingdom, the kingdom that Jesus is bringing in, his place of reign and rule. In Moses, we have the lawgiver, the one who led the people of Israel to the promised land, the one who received the Ten Commandments from God. Elijah and Moses, the prophet and the lawgiver. Both of these encountered God on a mountain. Elijah, when he was discouraged and depressed, he's taken to the Mount Horeb by God, and God meets with him, not in a whirlwind or in fire, but in a still, small voice. Moses, too, meets God on a mountain. After he's led the children of Israel into freedom, delivered them uh, from Pharaoh in the Exodus. When he meets God on the mountain, there's, there's fire and there's storms and there's lightning and there's a booming voice from heaven. He's instructed to write God's commandments on tablets of stone. In the Bible, mountains are places of encounter. Places where you go to meet with God when you're depressed and discouraged or at the height of your powers. Moses and Elijah meet God on mountains at crucial times in their ministries. Moments when the paths of their lives are beginning to unfold. Moments when they need to know what God uh, wants them to do and where he would have them go. Similar thing is happening here. In Luke's account of the transfiguration, we're told that Moses and Elijah speak with Jesus about his departure, about his journey to Jerusalem and his death there. This isn't a new idea for Jesus. In the passage before this one, Jesus has spoken plainly about his suffering and his death to come about the need for his disciples to follow him with a similar commitment to take up their cross. This has been something that those disciples have found difficult to hear. They don't want Jesus to leave them. They don't want to walk the way of the cross. And yet here, both the prophets and the law are witnesses, if you like, that this is the way it has to be. That Jesus is not mistaken. From this moment on, Jesus will be the new Moses. He'll be the true lawgiver for the people of God. He will describe how the laws of God's kingdoms work. He 
he will, through the power of the Spirit, inscribe those laws on people's hearts, not on tablets of stone. From this moment on, Jesus will be the new Elijah, the prophet who will speak with God's voice, who will fulfill all that has gone before, who will speak with the authority of heaven and from the perspective of eternity. A cloud descends and God's voice is heard. This is my son. Listen to him. This is the final confirmation of who Jesus is and what he must do. Finally, Jesus tells the disciples to tell no one of what they've seen. They descend down the mountain and the journey towards the cross and the resurrection begins. What does this moment in Jesus' life from 2,000 years ago mean for us today? Well, I've just explained mountains are places of encounter. Places where you go to meet with God. And here we see the disciples meeting God in what must have been an inspiring and yet at the same time frightening way. From this chapter in Jesus' life, we can learn something of what it means to have an authentic encounter with God. Meeting with God in a tangible way begins at the invitation of Jesus. That's true for us now. It was true for the disciples. Meeting with God in a tangible way begins with the invitation of Jesus. Right at the start of this passage, we're told that Jesus took Peter, James and John and he led them up the mountain. They were led by Christ into this encounter which would change their lives forever. The Gospels are full of Jesus meeting people and inviting them to follow him, inviting them to get to know him better. Jesus stands out among his contemporaries, the rabbis, the religious teachers of his day, as someone who talks about himself and his kingdom. I am, says Jesus, I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of heaven. Eternal life is to know me, says Jesus, and the one who sent me. Meeting with God in a tangible way begins with the invitation of Jesus. At the heart of the Christian faith is the knowledge that God is not found through self-examination or through some special retreat or ritual. We don't find him through logic or philosophical argument. But rather we uh, discover him as he reveals himself to us. We do not find him, but he finds us. And he reveals himself to us fully and finally, in the person of Jesus Christ. Meeting God in a tangible way begins with the invitation of Jesus. And secondly, an authentic experience of God will bring us closer to Christ. 
after this encounter, the disciples have a fuller appreciation of who Jesus is. The same will be true for us. As we grow as Christians, we will discover more and more of the riches of who God is and who Jesus is. This might be unsettling. This might on occasion be frightening as we discover that Jesus is bigger than we ever thought and his demands upon us, his call upon our lives are more serious than we ever expected. It might be frightening because a, a fuller appreciation of who God is might mean the removal of the false picture that we have of him and that could be painful. Peter, who sees the glory of Jesus unveiled on the mountain, would go on to write this in his letter to the churches. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Let me share with you these words from Phil Moore, a Bible scholar. He writes this. I love to worship the man Christ Jesus in the glory of his humanity. But we also need to see and worship him in the glory of his divinity. Jesus Christ has ascended to heaven. The suffering servant is now the unrivaled ruler of creation. We need to gaze deeply into the face that shines as brightly as the sun. This is the vision that strengthens Jesus' followers to announce the great message of his kingdom. Thirdly, an authentic experience of God should lead us deeper into a commitment to listen to him and to obey him. An authentic experience of God should lead us to a deeper commitment to listen to him and obey him. My sheep hear my voice, said Jesus. This is my son. Listen to him, is the command to the disciples. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. I'll ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. One of the hardest conversations I've ever had in ministry during my time here at St. Giles was when a couple came to see me, Um, not members of St. Giles, members of another church, uh, came to see me because they wanted to talk to me and not their uh, minister, and they wanted to talk about problems in their marriage. And as we discussed those uh, problems, um, it was clear uh, that, although there's always faults on both sides, 90% of the problems were to do with the husband who it seemed was utterly selfish, did what he wanted, when he wanted, how he wanted, saw their money as his money. Although he said that he uh, kind of wanted children whatsoever married, he decided actually he didn't want children and his wife would um, have to just live with that. Met a few times, uh, discussed the situation. More and more, I was, I was clear, though, there wasn't really any sort of hope for this marriage unless the husband's kind of got a grip of himself and, and, and sorted things out. I was shocked when he told me his conversion story. 
of how he'd become a Christian when he was a, a teenager. And yet, as we went further, it seemed that his notion of what being a Christian was was simply that he sort of said yes to Jesus at one point in his life, and, and that was that. And now he's free to live his life however he chose. His wife, too, was a Christian, and it was clear that she would do anything or almost anything to try and keep this marriage together. She wanted to be faithful to her marriage vows, but for the husband, they clearly meant very little to him. Remember challenging him when things came to a head. How can you be like this? How can you treat your wife like this and yet claim to be a Christian? And his answer shocked me uh, to the core. Oh, it doesn't matter, he says. God will forgive me. He didn't really understand who Jesus is. He didn't understand that one day he will stand before him and be accountable to him for all the decisions and choices that he has made. This is my son, listen to him, says the father. If you love me, Keep my commands, says Jesus. Coming closer to Christ will lead us to a more faithful uh, discipleship with him. Transfiguration is meaningful for us today because it reminds us that meeting with God in a tangible way begins with the invitation of Jesus and taking up that invitation to follow him. It reminds us that an authentic experience of God will bring us closer to Christ. And it reminds us that an authentic experience of God will lead us to a deeper commitment to listen to his son, to obey him, and to follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we follow in the footsteps of the disciples as they follow in the footsteps of your Son. And our desire is that we would see you clearly, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would behold your glory and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, draw us closer to him and keep us in faithful obedience to him. In his name we pray. Amen.